Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Solvable. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Habits are only good or bad in relation to your goals. Every year, as the new year approaches all across America, millions of us take a look at our lives and think about making changes. Changes in how we exercise, the money we save, the hours we spend on the internet. We always think of discipline as sort of self-denial. It's the kind of white-knuckling it through. We're going to make ourselves do it. So that's a high-effort sort of a process. For those of us who actually make fresh goals, fewer than half of us will stick with them. Many of us won't even get through January. But research psychologist Wendy Wood thinks that's because we're thinking about our goals upside down. A lot of goals aren't about making fresh habits. So we really are trying to change a habit that we've already formed. And that requires different strategies than willpower and motivation. Dr. Wendy Wood is Provost Professor of Psychology and Business at the University of Southern California. And she thinks... Persistent behavior change is solvable. Just to start out, Wendy, to ask a perhaps obvious question... What is a habit? A habit is actually, it's an answer. It's a solution. It's a way that people stick with behavior. It's a way they persist. Habits you can think of as a sort of learning mechanism. Something good happens. Some good outcome happens. You form habit memories that allow you to repeat it again in the future. So when we talk about bad habits and and just about everybody I know, I think, would say they have some bad habits, however hard they're trying or not trying to change them. Is it that you're somehow getting rewarded or you've gotten into a pattern of being rewarded for that bad habit? Bad habits 
are habits that are inconsistent with our goals. They conflict with our goals. So they're things that we don't want to do. And they got rewarded in the past. Rewards are really important for forming a habit. They're not quite so important once you've formed one. And that's the real challenge. We keep doing what we did in the past that was rewarding. But right now, we've changed our mind. And we want to be doing something else. But the habit memory sticks. And so it keeps us doing that thing. Um, you know, you've just reminded me, I, I, I grew up in Chicago and went to a school that was across the street from a zoo. And as a result, we had a course that I took, which was called Patterns in Animal Behavior. And what we did was we went over to the zoo and watched animals for like a long time, like an hour or two. And what you saw was repetitive habits. I don't know if you call them habits when they're animals and not humans, but these animals just did the same thing again and again. And it might have been a complicated routine, but over time you would see the repetitive behavior. And it's always made me think that, well, humans are animals and we do the same thing. We just have these repetitive grooves that we get into. Exactly. What a great class. You're absolutely right. Habits are a form of learning that we share with all mammals. I mean, because it's how your dog learns, right? It's how you train your dog, giving them rewards for doing the same thing over and over. The challenge for humans, though, is that we have this very elaborate, more thoughtful decision-making parts of our brain, as well as the habit systems that we share with all mammals. And those sort of more elaborate, thoughtful areas are what makes us decide geez, I wish I didn't do this. And that's where we get into conflict with the habit system. So it's that time of year when lots of people make New Year's resolutions. And I think the evidence suggests that most people won't keep most of those resolutions. So what's your advice for changing habits that we want to change and having the change stick? <laughs> You're absolutely right that most people don't stick with them. At best, about half of us will be successful at keeping our New Year's resolutions. Most people say, if I fail, I didn't have enough willpower. We tend to ascribe it to ourselves and our own limitations. But keep in mind that most of the resolutions we make are changing an existing behavior. So we really are trying to change a habit that we've already formed. And that requires different strategies than willpower and motivation. Because you're, you're not going to stay motivated as long as your habit memory is going to persist. The best way to change a habit is to alter the cues in the environment, what is activating that response. Let me give you an example. So I get up in the morning and I walk into my kitchen and I make coffee. And I do so, I don't ask myself, do I want coffee this morning? Am I tired enough? I just make it automatically without thinking about what I'm doing. You might have had this experience when you get in your car, right? You just automatically put your seatbelt on. You don't think about all of the reasons why you should or shouldn't, 
It's something that's automatic. So that's what keeps us repeating behavior. And we want to change up those cues so that the old pattern isn't activated. Well, that's an interesting example about seatbelts because there were a lot of people who didn't use seatbelts when it was purely a matter of choice. But we've actually taken that discretion away from people, at least for cars made in, I don't know, the last however many years, because legislation requires that there's that annoying beeping noise if you don't have your seatbelt on. And so you no longer have the option of having a bad habit. Does that point the way to creating systems that take our choice, the element of will or willpower away from us when it comes to habits that we should want to change or break? Well, I I wouldn't say so much it takes our willpower away from us as encourages us to do the right thing. And and we've done this already in public health campaigns with anti-smoking, right? We have changed the environment, the smoking environment, to actually make it more difficult to smoke. And that's involved removing cues. So there are no longer cigarettes on shelves in stores. We don't get advertising for cigarettes. There aren't cigarette vending machines anymore. So they've taken away a lot of the cues to purchasing, but they've also made it more difficult to smoke. Smoking bans in public places, taxes on cigarettes make it harder to buy them. So that's sort of a two-pronged approach here. One is changing the cues that kept people smoking, And the second is making it more difficult to smoke, adding friction on the behavior so it's more difficult. And our habits are very responsive to that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you talk about smoking because obviously that's a behavior that involves an element of addiction. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. And it's interesting, first of all, that changing the scenarios and the way you talk about still has an effect, even though it's addictive. But for some people, it doesn't because they're addicted to to the chemical of nicotine and trying to do all the things you're talking about isn't going to get you across the line of quitting. Well, let me point out that in the middle of the last century, 50% of Americans smoked and now only 15% do. So yes, I'm not denying the effects of nicotine, but I'm saying that these forces on our behavior are very powerful, maybe more so than many of us want to admit. (laughs) You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. Member FDIC. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency, Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? 
So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility, meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. I mean, if I could be the guinea pig here for a minute, let me tell you about a, a habit, a bad habit I would like to break that I've had a really hard time breaking, um, which is uh, having my phone in bed. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely, as a result of having the phone, I don't do have it there every night, but when I do, I don't sleep as well. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm I'm inclined to reach for the phone, and then I'm less likely to go back to sleep. And just in general, when I don't have the phone there, I feel better about things. But I keep having my phone in bed for, you know, I have various reasons and excuses. But honestly, I think the bottom line is I want to check my phone. Like it's something, you know, it's it's pleasurable or important or what, whatever it is. Um, but even if I, you know, get in the groove of putting it in another room for a while, I somehow break the good habit and go back to the bad one. Can you help me? Well, you're responding to rewards. The phone is designed to keep you using it um, in a very habitual way. If you use much social media, social media comes in a big scroll. And every once in a while, you get this 
wonderfully interesting tidbit from a friend or something else that just keeps you scrolling. So what you have to do is you have to figure out how to reverse engineer those cues. You need to figure out how to change them or to put friction on them. Maybe you just need a little bit more practice, repetition in leaving the phone in a specific place before you go to bed so that it starts to become automatic. I would say you probably just haven't practiced it enough. <laughs> well, that term friction you talked about is really interesting. You know, uh, our company makes a podcast with Dr. Lori Santos at Yale called The Happiness Lab. And she's she's done a number of episodes that have touched on this question of, you know, how you can create friction around the things you don't want to do. But then I guess a kind of, you know, less friction or a system of rewards around the things you do want to do. And And the thing about friction is we don't, give it a whole lot of credibility, simply because most of us think we're in charge, right? As you said earlier, we think we have free will. We think we are making decisions and doing things all the time. We're not aware of how much of the time we're simply responding to the environment around us. My favorite study right now on friction is one that was done in an office building. It was a four-story office building. And it was done with researchers who wanted people to take the stairs and stop using the elevator so much. Mm. And it's a four-story building, so that's possible. So what they started with is sort of how we start with our New Year's resolutions. They started off trying to convince people, right, motivate them, get them to do the right thing. So they put up signs first, take the stairs, it uses many more calories than the elevator, good for your health, that had no effect. <laughs> so they tried a different approach. They tried, take the stairs, saves energy, good for the environment, save our planet, no effect. So what they did is they slowed the closing of the elevator door by 16 seconds. And that was enough to reduce elevator trips by a third. So just the simple friction of having a slow door closing stopped people from taking the elevator. And the cool thing about the study is that four weeks later, when the researchers set the elevator door back to its normal speed, people kept taking the stairs they still avoided the elevator because they had formed habits to take the stairs. See, and that's maybe four weeks every day is, would be enough practice for you, Jacob, in keeping your cell phone out of the bedroom. Yeah, well, that, well that's a good example of adding how adding a tiny bit of invisible amount of friction helps. So, well, give me some, some friction examples around exercise, for example. I have pretty good habits around exercise because I've always been a runner and I get pleasure from doing it. So, you know, but I know a lot of people just, especially this time of year when it's cold in most of the country, it's just really hard to get motivated. How can you remove friction to, uh, that will make it easier to get out and exercise? Well, I, I think that the motivation would come from finding ways to make it rewarding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I used to be a runner too. Um, it's not easy for me to do. So I started using elliptical 
And if you've ever used an elliptical machine, it is the most boring thing in the world. So I hated it for a while until I figured out I can watch really stupid TV shows that I would never normally watch, read trashy novels that I would never (laughs) normally spend the time reading just when I use the elliptical. And since I've started doing that, which is about four years ago, five years ago now, I love it. I look forward to it. (laughs) And I look forward to it because it's that combined experience. I've been able to figure out how to add a reward to it that makes it rewarding. I mean, that reward in another context might be a bad habit, right? Watching trashy TV might be a habit you would want to break or change as part of your New Year's resolution. But what? why is it It's okay in the context of using it to create a good habit or because it's limited by the good habit? What's, how do you think about that? Habits are only good or bad in relation to your goals. So my goal is to get myself exercising and I'm going to spend the time exercising anyway. So what does it matter what I'm thinking about? When I exercise, that's how I think of it. My priority yeah. is exercise, how to get myself to do it. It's it's interesting what we think of as discipline versus a habit. I mean, I have written a few books and I always just thought of it as a butt in chair problem. You know, if I was in, if I had my butt in the chair from nine to one every day, the book got written. And if I didn't, it didn't. So I guess I I built the habit, but I would say, you know, I disciplined myself to sit there six days a week from nine to one. And when you thought about it, you know, nine to one, it's only four hours a day. So it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't like you could have a life outside of doing that. The problem was if you didn't have the discipline of doing that, you'd have to be kind of doing it all the time. Exactly. But, you know, you, you've touched on a, an interesting point, I think, which is, so what's the difference between a habit and discipline? or willpower. How can we understand that? We always think of discipline as sort of self-denial. It's the kind of white knuckling it through. We're going to make ourselves do it. So that's a high effort process. And up until very recently, psychologists thought some people have high self-control like that. They're just able to do that better than others. And what we've learned instead from observing people is people who self-report, who say they have high self-control, they actually know how to form habits. So they start as you did. If they want to write a book, they figure out what time of day they're best at writing or how many pages. Some people who are prolific writers write a certain number of pages every day. Some people write for a certain number of hours every day. I mean, the habit itself that they're forming has to do with those markers. Of course, writing itself isn't a habit. The habit is getting there and making yourself do it effortlessly. And that is the automaticity of habit. Of course, then you have to do the cognitive work of writing on top of that. But that's a whole different thing. 
Yeah. Does it change with age? I mean, given that this is this is you're looking at what's happening inside our brains and our brains change as we get older. You know, does it get easier or harder to change your habits as you get older? <laughs> Everything gets harder <laughs> as you get older, Jacob. <laughs> that was sort of an obvious question, wasn't it? But I did. <laughs> <laughs> but on the but on the other hand, I, there is sort of the habit of having habits, and you know the confidence that if you've changed habits in the past, you know you can do it. And I often do observe that it it it, it may be more settled when you're older, but it may be more settled in a positive direction. Hmm. Well, I think I mean, there's pretty good data that all of our brains, all parts of our brains, all parts of our neural systems, do age. And they get a little less efficient, a little less effective as we get older. Research shows that older people have a harder time forming new habits. It, that might seem like it is inconsistent with our observations of a lot of older people who seem to do things out of habit a lot. And the thing is, is that as you get older, you have a harder time learning new habits, but you're still relying on all of the old ones that you learned earlier in life. And that may be where your sense of older people are more stable, more sort of routine in their behavior. They may be relying more on older habits, and they just have less variability in their behavior in general. So let's wrap up with some advice for listeners who presumably do have some habits they want to change. And it's a little after New Year's now, so we don't have to worry about the the deadline. Uh, But what are three things to think about just to get started? Is one of them applying or removing friction? Yes. One of them is identifying the behaviors. First, you have to know what behaviors are giving you problems. Hmm. And have a very clear sense of what new behaviors you want to become part of your habits. And then figuring out how to repeat those on a regular basis, those new behaviors. Understanding the cues that drive behavior and understanding how to make the behaviors you want easier. So we talked about friction getting in the way of behaviors you don't want, but The friction in your life can also help you repeat behaviors that you do want. Hmm. So, for example, there was a study done with cell phones, tracking cell phones, how far they traveled to a paid fitness center. What they found is that if you travel 5.1 miles to a gym on average, you only go once a month. But if you travel three and a half miles on average, you go five times a month. So figuring out ways to streamline it so it becomes easier, make it more rewarding so that you'll do it more. Those are the keys to forming a new habit. And when is it? It's when you're not thinking about doing it anymore. It's a habit, right? I mean, when does it become a habit? Exactly. When the struggle ends and it's just cued by the environment around you and you're not even noticing that you're doing it, that's when it's a habit. So you cite these examples of friction that's mostly invisible to people, but then there is friction that is visible, friction you create. How can you be conscious 
of friction and the way that it's affecting your habits if so much of it is like the increment on the how long it takes the elevator door to close, something we're not aware of at a conscious level? That is a challenge that many of us have because we believe in our own agency, right? We think that we are making decisions. And so that leads us to overlook many of the things that are actually influencing us in our environment. But I do think people can answer the question, what would make it easier for me to do something? And what would make it more difficult? Like if you want to save money, taking your credit card out of automatic pay sites like Amazon or other sorts of online retailers, that makes sense. And most of us would be able to predict that that would make it a little harder for us to buy things. So once we start noticing these things, and once we're willing to say, okay, maybe I'm not completely in charge. Maybe there are a few things around me that also influence my behavior. And are they helping me? Once we start noticing them, I think that um, we can start to identify what they are for us personally. For you, Jacob, I would say, you already know your phone has this impact on you. You just keep hoping (laughs) (laughs) that you're going to follow through on your best intentions and not take it with you tonight to bed. But over time, you'll probably learn how to keep your phone regularly in another room, put the charger in another room, do something to make it easier for you to remember to leave it there before you go to bed. And that's going to help you form that habit. Dr. Wendy Wood is Provost Professor of Psychology and Business at the University of Southern California. Solvable is produced by Jocelyn Frank. Booking by Lisa Dunn. Our managing producer is Catherine Girardot. And Pushkin's executive producer is Mia Lobel. I'm Jacob Weisberg. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.